From Sacramento, the Bishop's Radio Hour with Bob Dunning. Focusing on today's issues in the context of gospel values. Now, here's Bob Dunning on Relevant Radio. That's me. Welcome to you on this beautiful day the Lord has made. Appreciate you all being with us on the Bishop's Hour. This indeed is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We're glad today to welcome in Father Michael Kiernan, our good, good and longtime friend. Father, good day, to, good day to you. Good day to you, Bob, and all your listeners. Um, hope everything is going well in life, um, and faith, and charity, and in your day to day. Yes, indeed. Uh, uh, we <laughs> every day is, you know, I, I tell my kids this, every day is a challenge and every day is an opportunity, you know. And, indeed, indeed, um, yes. You know, and, and uh, the challenge, you know, I, I think the challenge sometimes, sometimes uh, just life is just a bowl of cherries, you know, and uh, uh, everything is is just wonderful. And I think the challenge then is, well, there's there's a whole lot of people that their lives aren't that way. And and what can we do to help them, you know? Well, of course, that's where our faith comes in so much. Uh, I was just reading earlier today uh, a few thoughts uh, from Elizabeth Ann Seton, the great mm. saint, and uh, maybe... One of my one favorite saints, said, yeah. Beautiful person. Uh, one thing might that she said might sort of tie in a little bit what you were saying uh, as an encouragement to people. She said... Uh, Look up towards eternity and do not lose a moment of this time of grace and benediction for laying up your heavenly treasure. Mm. Every moment of your patience and submission in this hard trial will be a triumph to you hereafter. Wow. Oh, joyful thought is now to our Jesus, our Jesus. Wow. So I think maybe when we have that attitude, uh, if we could have it, uh, Bob, it uh, certainly would... Uh, help us to uh, unite our sufferings to the sufferings of Christ and see all things as gain in the long run, yes, eternally. Yes, indeed. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't she come from a family of means? Yes, and uh, of course she was Episcopalian for a mm-hmm. lot of her life, and then uh, her husband uh, died young, and actually several of her children uh, died uh, before her. And I remember one famous case of her talking to her child who was dying, and she said, you know, this is not the way it's supposed to be, uh, a child, but uh, you go before me, it should be me going before you, right. but that's okay, you're going early to the Lord, and I will go when my time comes. Yeah, that's beautifully put. So what faith, uh, yeah. to have that trust that uh, even though she was losing her child, she knew where her child was going, and therefore was able to see it as long-term uh, gain. Yeah, wow. That's a, a, a lot of faith, isn't it? Indeed, indeed, and uh, profound. But uh, actually, when we look at the early church and so on, they were totally confident, you know, in their faith that um, even in martyrdom and persecution and all the terrible things that went through, that uh, uh, you know, St. Polycarp and all the other martyrs, uh, even being burned to death, they were confident that, uh, they would uh, be with the Lord. I was reading someplace where, I can't remember the name of the priest chaplain, but anyway, he was uh, imprisoned in, uh, under Hitler, and uh, he knew he was going to be killed any day, and he was having dinner with some people, and he said, you know, I'll be having Christmas dinner in heaven. <laughs> uh, which he was. He was actually killed before Christmas, uh, actually murdered by Hitler and his henchmen, uh, before Christmas, but what a statement of faith that uh, it's okay, I'll be having Christmas dinner in heaven. <laughs> wow, and just, you know, people can have pretty elaborate Christmas dinners here on earth. Imagine what it's like in heaven. Yes, the great feast of the king, yeah. I bet there's Indeed. plenty of gravy to go around. Yeah, yeah, and uh, <laughs> all cooked well, uh, yeah. I suppose sometimes. Here it comes out good, and sometimes not so good. That's right. You know, I don't think this turkey's cooked all the way through. Yeah. The piece I got, at least, that it wasn't any good. Speaking I'm of turkey, again, I... I'm failing again. 
I know we're I know we're post Thanksgiving now, but uh, uh, in in Ireland, where you're from, the Republic of Ireland, uh, do do they have something comparable to to Thanksgiving? Uh, Well, they have the thing that begins at the uh, uh, beginning of November. Over there, there was a lot of celebration of uh, the. all saints, and of course it was more so when I was growing up. I don't know what it's doing now, but certainly that was a huge thing and uh, uh, a little bit almost like Thanksgiving in the sense of Thanksgiving for life and praying for the dead. And Mm -hmm. uh, we used to have all sorts of devotions and uh, uh, for those who had passed on and so on. But Thanksgiving itself, well, I guess that's uh, pretty much an American experience uh, due to the pilgrims and all of that. Uh, there's a particular reason for that. But, yes, we're moving into Christmas now, and not too long until uh, the Advent season is here and uh, enjoying that and um, looking forward to the great uh, celebration of the birth of Christ and uh, all sorts of good stuff ahead of us, yeah. So when, when you were a child, what did, you, what did you learn about the Advent season? What did the Advent season mean to you? Well, I don't have great memories of, of it. It was a little bit like um, sort of a minor Lent. Uh, we, uh, we, I'm, we referred to it as a poor man's Lent. We said, like, yeah, like, and, uh, and we didn't say it with with a lack of respect, but it was it, it, our some of our friends who weren't of the faith, you know, kind of wanted to know what's what's Advent. Those of who who had even heard of it. Yeah, and of course we had the purple vestments pretty much the same as uh, Lent and mm-hmm. so on. So that uh, uh, brought a... And then the readings then as now, you know, are sort of challenging uh, in that uh, for the last several weeks around Christ the King and all that, uh, and even into Advent, uh, you know, the second coming and sort of... Uh, of fire and brimstone and things like that, you know. Or, so, um, but in many ways, I think the uh, the seasons of the church were uh, probably poorly understood by our people growing up. Uh, I mean, there's, there's much more awareness of the seasons of the church, I would say, today, uh, you know, than, than there were uh, back then in some ways, uh, where um, uh Advent and, and all, all of the seasons, uh, uh, like even Easter was celebrated um, very simply uh, compared to what we have today. Uh, so Advent, I don't have, they're just, you know, the excitement, which unfortunately is true still today, where it's hard to keep Advent. Uh, it's, you know, if you want to get the tree up and they want to get uh, mm-hmm. the party going and uh, they want to be celebrating Christmas uh, you know, two weeks before Christmas, and then, of course, there's always the Christmas parties and uh, all that, and so it's uh, it's uh, very um, uh, uh, challenging to uh, to keep uh, Christ in Christmas, not just in the sense of the spiritual side of it, but to do something and to not get overrun by uh, a million and one things that one is trying to do uh, uh, for Christmas itself, uh, we always have um, on December one the uh, up at Northern Valley uh, in Reading the Northern Valley Magic of Christmas. Oh, really? And that sort of kicks off the social season uh, in that area. And uh, that's uh, this particular year. It was uh, started off um, uh, well. It's, it was back for the first time in mm-hmm. three years, I guess, mm-hmm. with COVID and so on. So I'm sure there'll be a lot of Christmas parties, even though COVID is hanging around and flus are hanging around and stuff of that. But still, I think this particular Christmas um, sort of opens up uh, possibilities for us that we haven't had in quite a while as regards getting together and comfortable travel. I mean, there's still a risk, I suppose, traveling and a parlor traveling, but um, still I think more people are much more comfortable uh, Associating, though I would encourage people to be still careful and uh, you know mind themselves. But um, but still, it certainly is 
much better, I think, than the last two or three Christmases we've had. So what what does Northern Valley do uh, in terms of the Miracle well, of Christmas? Well, that's the strong arm of uh, Catholic Charities. In right. The... No, I mean, what do they do on December 1? Oh, they always have, um, well, it's, I suppose it's like a lot of events, like, you know, the recent one we had with the Life Center and so on. Right. Where there's a big dinner and uh, there's uh, the usual auctions and mm-hmm. uh, uh, both the, the uh, silent auction and then the live auction. And um, Bishop always, I don't think he's ever missed it, uh, and uh, he gives a little talk uh, sort of on the state of things in the church a bit, mm-hmm. uh, uh, sort of talk at the beginning and does the blessing and so on. And, uh, of course, uh, Reading has grown a lot since the right. time I was there 40 years ago, but still a small community and uh, a very warm community. And a few weeks ago, a few months ago now, I was up there for uh, uh, the uh, funeral of Dr. Dave Gassman. And uh, mm-hmm. that was an experience to meet uh, people uh, whom I knew uh, uh, in the uh, mid-'70s when I served there. And, uh, you know, it's really strange because I couldn't understand where all those old people came from. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I hadn't changed or anything, and I'm still 40 like I was then. <laughs> but uh, anyway, these people are <laughs> very old. I was surprised, you know. Where did they come from? Yeah, I, I had, I had that, uh, that, that reunion problem a time or two, and uh, all I know was I was glad uh, that they required everybody to wear a name tag. Yes. <laughs> But you're is, right. You you look and you're going. Wait a minute. The, the, who are these people? And you don't realize because <laughs> you haven't changed at all, right? <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah, and uh, I was uh, oh some months ago. I was down in Phoenix for something, and I was going to look up this lady that I had known way back, and she was very young, and I was very young then in nineteen in the Alturas when I served. And uh, I was wondering, well, when we meet, we're going to meet for lunch at a particular place. And I'm thinking to myself, well, when she walks in, uh, well, how will I know? Or, well, because we figured that I'd be wearing my black collar anyway, I'm black sure, and white. Sure. So she, that was sort of a giveaway for her. Uh, but somebody told me, well, if you don't recognize her, look at her eyes. Mm. The eyes, in many cases, if you're at a reunion or something like that, the eyes will come back to you. If anything, stays much the same as it was 20 years ago or 40 years ago. And that's it's probably the, the eyes. A lot of truth to that. The, the the awkwardness of the moment, though, is that if you it is you know the, the the civil thing to say to somebody when you haven't seen them for 50 years is you haven't changed a bit. Well, if yes. you <laughs> if, lies, if you have lies. to go up and say, "Are you are you Sally?" <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you're kind of admitting they've changed. Yes, yeah, might have got a little younger, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's always interesting indeed. So, uh, so anyway, that's always a great reunion. And uh, but uh, lucky enough, I was able to meet the people at uh, Dr. Gaston's funeral, and a lot of them are the same people because of Northern Valley and his commitment with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that so I sort of had a had a opportunity there to refresh my mind. And so the uh, the magic of Christmas then was easy to do in that sense. So mm-hmm. so lots of good things going on, and uh, uh, hopefully our people are all getting ready for the uh, uh, Christmas. We'll be having our usual beautiful mass here at the uh, midnight mass with the bishop at uh, uh, the cathedral, of course, and mm-hmm. uh, many other masses as well. And that's all been. Uh, organized right now by the rector and putting out the word on that. So uh, uh, great times lie ahead. Indeed, indeed. Tell us a little bit about uh, Dr. Gaston and, and his contributions to Northern Valley. Well, it was an interesting thing because Monsignor Russ Terra uh, asked me to lunch one day and said, you know, Mike, we should <laughs> excuse me, we should have some sort of a counseling program here in the Reading Anderson area because we can't do it very well ourselves as priests and so on. So I said, oh, that's great. So we got together with Dr. Gassman, and because uh, he was a psychiatrist there in town, and he said he would be delighted to uh, uh, help 
get the thing off the ground. And uh, as sometimes happens, we didn't know what we were doing, uh, but we soldiered on anyway. And uh, the, uh, we picked a, a lady called Pat Mojeski, a good Polish name. And mm-hmm. Pat was working for the county. And she was one of those just ordinary, quiet people that really didn't have a lot of uh, personality or anything like that in one sense. And just Monsignor Terra knew her and said maybe she'd be a good person to be our first director. And uh, as often, uh, you know, there's a great saying that uh, the moment maketh the man. Mm-hmm. Well, this was certainly true in her case because when she took over that thing, she just blossomed like a flower, and she became an exuberant, inviting, captivating person who uh, the thing just took off like wildfire, and uh, Dr. Gaston, of course, was part of it, and he was chair of the first board, and then uh, so on, so on, and the rest is history, and uh, he would do tours, and uh, he had a van that he would bring people around to show them what he was doing, and the thing just grew and grew, and, and he was... I think he was chair of that board for maybe 20 years or more. And, wow. you know, sometimes chairs stay on past their time, and sometimes they become a bit of a burden because they're not able to do the job anymore. But that was not the case with Gaston. Right up to the day he uh, resigned as chair, he was able to be on top of everything. And, and the beauty of it was that um, they could run a meeting there, the board meeting, in one hour and 15 minutes, and not a minute more. <laughs> and they got everything done. And they had a wonderful system there because if you were a board member, you got your stuff in a timely manner, and you wouldn't be treated nastily. But on the other hand, you'd be sort of given a hint that if you were asking questions that was in the stuff that was given to you, uh, not clarifications, but asking questions about such and such, you'd be told gently that, you know, Bob, that was sent out last week to you. Mm-hmm. You didn't have a chance to study it, did you? <laughs> and so, you know, it's so annoying sometimes at meetings where people come and you send out stuff to them and they're asking questions about it like you didn't, and that prolongs the whole meeting. True. So in that particular case, they, everybody came ready to work, and if you got your packet, then you studied it at home and made notes on it and were able to ask real relevant questions about this, that, or the other but not taking up any more time than it had to be. And so we had Dr. Gaston, and then we had John Kenny, who was a wonderful Catholic man there. He was the local attorney, a DA there for a while. And uh, between the two of them and uh, uh, then uh, Dr. Uh, then uh, Donald Chapman uh, was a big banker there, and he took over as um, uh, executive director uh, when he retired. And so it was just a, a beautiful thing, and it is a beautiful thing, and it's large, and it's um, everybody, well, in, you know, in Shasta County, everybody knows everybody, and it's still a small county by our standards here in Sacramento. Right. And so Dr. Gaston and his people, uh, uh, everybody of all faiths and so on were involved, and uh, they had programs uh, galore and uh, just every sort of help, uh, and the responses we would get from people was just um, a beautiful thing. So... Uh, that was 1986, and mm-hmm. so uh, it's continued, and uh, of course, Monsignor Terra is still there now. He's a great old man, probably in his, oh, maybe mid-late 80s or higher up than that. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, uh, Dr. Gaston was uh, was one of a kind, uh, and of uh, course, he was always a psychiatrist, and uh, you sort of feel a little bit... Uh, uncertain of being around him, you know, because you wonder, is he <laughs> evaluating you, up, you know, evaluating you and wondering if you're of sound mind and <laughs> will he have to commit you to a 50-50, uh, yeah. <laughs> so on, so on. So uh, it's funny, actually, how people in positions like that get targeted. It happens mm-hmm. a good bit to it, a priest, but I know my good friend Judge Marty Young up in uh, Moda County, he said, you know, that up there it's sort of sometimes difficult to go to a an event because you tell somebody that I'm the local superior court judge and sure. they almost run away, you know, they almost yeah. fall off of the seat and, oh my God, he's going to arrest me right now for that yeah. ticket. That's right. I did that week. And of course, he said, I don't, you know, I go to a party and I, I want to 
last thing I want to do is have anybody even ask me what I do or yeah. certainly not talk business, but he said that's the way it is. When they walk in, they see you and, Oh my gosh. Well, there, 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 there are occupations, like you say, like like a, a psychiatrist. I mean, uh, uh, if you're an orthopedic surgeon and you go to a party, somebody somewhere is going to corny and want to know about their knee, the problem they're having with their knee or their hip, or you know, yes, yes, and, and yes. if if uh, you know, I'm and I'm sure if you're a priest, uh, you just go to a party and uh, you're you you're going to have to talk shop. You just are. Yes. Yes, somebody will surely ask. I remember years ago I went to a, uh, uh, when I was up in Reading, actually, we had this big uh, uh, event at uh, uh, Pentecostal Church. And I went with, um, somebody invited me to go and so on to experience it. And I did. And uh, lo and behold, uh, people knew who I was. And uh, towards the end of the event, this guy came over and says, uh, Father, would you have time for a quick confession? Right there in the middle of the Pentecostal <laughs> Hall. And so we found a quiet room and oh, wow. stuck in for the confession. So, uh, as you say, uh, Bob, it uh, can be that way. But that's a very nice thing, too, in the sense sure. that uh, it, uh, especially in a small community where everybody knows everybody and, um, and stuff. So, so that's great, yeah. Yeah, 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 it is. It's, it's. I, I was, I was at a gathering where there was a judge, and I noticed that uh, he attracted a lot of attention. You know, and and a lot of, <laughs> uh, and just the opposite too, depending on who you were. <laughs> you know. By the way, that uh, judge I was telling you about, he, you know, a very strong Catholic man, very involved there in the community when I was there, and he said something very profound. You know, he said. Uh, Father, he said, don't try, he said, to have all the people here in the parish like you. He said, there's no need for that. Mm-hmm. He said, just do the right thing, he said, for everybody as best you can. He said, I'm the superior court judge here, and I've been here for years, and every time there's an election, I get 67% of the vote. Mm-hmm. Which, he said, means that 30% of the people don't like me. That's... I'm, I'm, see, there's nobody on the ballot. He says, just and there's nobody on the ballot. That's right. They, they yeah. run unopposed. Yeah, for the most I'm, part. But he said, so he said, my point to, to tell you is, he said, is, you know, that do it the best you can. He said, my job here in the county is whether people voted for me or didn't vote for me. If they come coming for me for justice, I give them fair play, whether they're somebody I know voted for me or somebody I know didn't. Uh, and he said the same with yourself. He said, just work with the parishioners and uh, do the best you can. And if it's somebody who's very close to you, that's okay. And... Um, he said, you know, you're entitled to have certain people who will be your friends, and certain people will just love you because of your personality, and some people will be offset by you because of your personality. Mm-hmm. He said, don't take it personally. He said, if you do that, he said, you'll drive yourself crazy, and maybe oh, everybody will. else as well. You will. So that was very good advice. I was only 28 at the time, and uh, I was Judge Young, and um, we still talk once in a while on the phone, and... Uh, I admired him greatly for that good yeah, advice. He's, yeah. he's, he's a legend up, up in, uh, what is that, uh, El Tor- uh, Siskiyou County. Arturus, yeah, yeah. Mordor County, yeah. yeah. And by the way, I, was, uh, I did Mass at, recently at uh, uh, St. Daniel Church in Wheatland, which oh, wow. is a very small little church. That's a mission and church, there, right? there's uh, a wonderful old judge uh, uh, who is, uh, again, the core of the Catholic community there, and he's well in his 80s now, but you think to look at him, he was 60, and we had the most delightful discussions, and uh, just a great example of faith and goodness and kindness and uh, wisdom, of course, as judges have. And so uh, that's another one there in the St. Daniel Wheatland community, a judge of great faith and dedication to the faith. The judges have, you know, I, I was uh, interviewing uh, Judge uh, Basha, who just received the uh, the St. Thomas More Award uh, yes. on on the day of the the Red Mass and et cetera, and mm-hmm. uh, um, interviewing him and <laughs> jokingly said, uh, you know how 
how do you the 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 Lord has commanded us in in almost every page of the Bible, judge not, you know. Yes. And how do you how do you square that? Uh, obviously, with being a judge, uh, not that he's doing something against against Scripture, sure, but sure. but how do you how do you square that that command, which I know you 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 believe, you know. I mean, obviously, it it means mm-hmm. don't. Don't you know? Just worry about yourself. Don't judge somebody else. But you're in a, you're in a position where your decisions affect so many lives. And and he and he had a, just a tremendous answer for it about how how indeed how difficult that is. But that his his role is to you know dispense justice and as much as possible. Uh, with compassion, rehabilitation, and a hope that that this is, you know, corrective justice, if you will. Yeah, that actually applies a little bit in confession as well, you know, where the priest is not only giving absolution, but also, in a sense, judging, and that uh, person comes in, you know, and they have to sort of use some judgment as to how they're doing and what they did and the severity of it, and and uh, it can vary because, you know, if it's somebody that has very poor sense, you know, or who's senile or whatever, well, that's a different case than some guy who is at the height of his powers at 25, you know. And uh, so there's a judgment piece, but again, it's uh, not uh, nasty judgment in the sense, you know, that I look at you going down the street and make some uh, things of thoughts about you that, you know, I, I, why am I doing that? You know, that's, that makes no sense. Uh, just, uh, but real judgment, as you say, by a judge or whoever. Um, you know, we were talking earlier about going to parties and stuff of that, and I noticed that the uh, 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 you talk about people talking to judges about maybe their knee or, or the surgeon about the knee or whatever. But I noticed that at the live center dinner a couple few weeks ago, whenever uh, we had um, people who were prepared to pay good money to get a chance to talk personally to both Bishop Soto and. Uh, Archbishop Cordelioni. Yes, yeah, real good uh, money. All, yeah, yeah, and which of course always helps the life center, but also gives uh, them an opportunity to uh, sit down over a nice meal and uh, share with uh, either the bishops there and uh, talk about things in a you know an evening capacity, and uh, that's a good thing. And so, and that's one of the great things about uh, uh, priests uh, too is you know. Uh, we try to get to know our people, and hopefully uh, people can um, feel free to discuss anything with us, uh, whether it be you know a serious spiritual matter or a confessional matter, or even a little bit of you know uh, advice. You know, I'm thinking of selling my house, or I'm thinking of quitting my job, or I'm thinking of moving to someplace. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of getting married. Uh, well. You know, that they feel free to talk about that and uh, share some thoughts. Um, uh, it's a beautiful thing, and certainly in confession, you know, it's amazing. Uh, people will come in that, uh, and talk about everything under the sun and uh, be totally unabashed and, uh, you know, not uh, nervous or uh, uh, anything like that. You know, just they'll tell you the intimate uh, aspects of their lives, uh, sitting sometimes sometimes through the screen, but sometimes just sitting across, and that's a a beautiful encounter as well. Yeah, you know, I've I've often wondered what it was like on the other side of the curtain. Yeah, well, it's, uh, you know, again, uh, a lot of the time people are so good, uh, you think you're, I think the the bishop said something, you know, that sometimes when he hears confessions, uh, he wishes he was as good as the people who come into confession. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and certainly that's my own situation as well. So I think people often think that, you know, confessions are this list of terrible crimes that mm-hmm. somebody has committed. But actually, uh, it's it's most of the time it's very timid stuff, you know, like uh, cuss words or... One thing, one of the ones I get quite a bit, actually, I always get a kick out of is uh, getting upset at people, talking about judging, talking and getting upset at people's uh, performance on the highway. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh, so many people were saying, I was so mad last Thursday when yeah, yeah. the guy, he cut in front of me, and he was going like a crazy man and so on and so on. And I'm saying to myself, Things I shouldn't be saying to myself. Well, yeah, about it, him. It, it, it's funny because some of us sometimes, if if we're on a long trip, uh, we'll pray the rosary in the car, and yes. and oh my goodness, some something bad happens, and you almost drop the rosary and say something you shouldn't say, and you're going, I'm in the middle of praying the rosary, and I had that thought. You know, yes. it, yeah, it's, but there's something, it's so immediate about, about traffic where somebody does something outrageous and obviously very dangerous that you're, you're, I guess it's your, uh, that, that evil twin <laughs> emerges. Well, and of course, maybe also in all fairness, what we're talking about the judging there, I mean, you know, if you see something that is crazy, I don't think it's inappropriate to uh, be upset at that. Like, no. just the other day I was driving, and I noticed now that the speed limit seems to be, on most of the highways I travel, and I drive a lot uh, along distances, still is uh, 75, 80, mm-hmm. and sometimes more. Mm-hmm. And I think we were tipping along at 80, uh, going north on, on uh, 70, and this guy, the other lane came, and he was going so fast... <laughs> You could feel him, like, in your car, in my car, uh, as he went by. Wow. I mean, he must have been surely well in the 90s. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, where's the highway patrol when you need him? Yeah, that's right. That's and right. I'm thinking to myself, if I keep going a few more miles, I'll bet you that guy is going to be uh, having company with the red lamp. Yep, <laughs> yep. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I was cutting off very soon after that, so I don't know what happened. But, <laughs> but that was an egregious case where... He was just, uh, I mean, he must have been on something because, uh, I, I, as I said, just shook the highway almost. He was going so fast. Well, how, many, how many times do you, I mean, you read in the paper, and it usually you're reading about it because it was an accident uh, that somebody was clocking 110 or something. And, and yeah, that's, uh, that's even the, the least judgmental people are going to have a judgment about that real fast. And uh, I, I know occasionally you'll come up on somebody that you uh, assume is a drunk driver because they're having great trouble. And they, and they want you to call the CHP. They want you to, you know, report that oh, to, yeah. to get that uh, person off the road. The problem is nowadays is as, as frequently as not, if they're weaving is because they're texting. Well, I can certainly tell you that when I see somebody doing stuff the way you wouldn't think they would be doing it, as soon as I get a better vision of them, I see they're on the phone. Yep. And almost, you're on the yep, phone, yep. Uh, no matter what people say, you're, you know, you're just not yourself. You uh, aren't. You aren't. And you're not turning the way you should be, and you're not, you're either going too fast at one time, or your den is slowing down, and you're picking up. And, and so I can tell when I see that ahead of me, uh, I'll bet you when I get up to this guy and pass him, uh, which I want to do because I want to get out of there. Uh, you, you want to you pass know. him, but you've got to be very careful in passing him. Yeah. If they're weaving. But in any case, when I do that, I can look over and see, oh, yes, he's on the phone. Yep. That's what I thought. And so on. Now, having said that, I must say that uh, I I enjoy speed myself, and uh, uh, I I admire the dexterity and the skill of all these people out there on the highway, you know. And, uh, of course, uh, when you think of the thousands of cars that are on any highway uh, on a given day, you know, most people are doing a pretty good job and uh, and stuff like that. And, of course, also if one is driving defensively and paying attention oneself, uh, that's one's first priority. And if somebody then does something dumb, well, hopefully you're in command of your situation. And, uh, as you say, by passing out the guy, you, you're really wary and careful, and uh, hopefully it'll be okay. But anyway, that's one that comes up often uh, as to... Uh, Frustration with themselves for getting annoyed. So, um, yeah, the, 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 yeah, the only, you know, I, I, I'm a defensive driver, and yet uh, I was at a, a rural intersection about to come into a town and uh, came to a, a stoplight and stopped, came to a complete stop. Uh, and here's a green, it's a four way stop and some turn lanes as well. And, uh, uh, 
light turned green. And usually, I don't care if the light, and I, when giving driving lessons to my own kids when they were teenagers, I say, don't trust a green light, you know, uh, mm. because somebody might be, you know, they see it yellow and they're 50 yards away and they're gunning it and your light turns green and you just enter the intersection. Here comes this guy barreling through there. And I, I had a green light and I was going zero, you know, because I had stopped and I got into this intersection and I heard this squealing of tires and I looked up to my left and here was a pick a Ford F one fifty pickup truck, and it was too late to do anything. And I I I I you know the old your whole life you know, mm. uh, I said I guess this is how it happens. You you know you mm-hmm. you you're as careful as you can be, and it was like one o'clock in the afternoon, a beautiful day, and a fall day, and. Uh, uh, the, uh, the, it's just like it's it's too late. And kaboom, yeah. uh, the old, what they call a T-bone, right into the driver's side door, right where I was sitting. I was alone. All the glass on the window, the window was up. The, all the glass shattered into the car. And um, and then the guy drives off. You know, mm. he drives off. Which, you know, because part of you is going, did I, did I do something wrong here? You know, yeah. like, like I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm looking up, and it's the light's like still green. Catholic, and, you know, there's always plenty of guilt. <laughs> yeah, and, and then, uh, you know, he drives off, and I said, well, I guess that kind of proves <laughs> it was at fault here. But, yeah. but and I remember the, 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 there, were, there were a lot of people around, and they called the fire department. They came rushing out, and uh, I called my wife and said, you know, I've, I've been in a pretty bad accident, but I think I'm okay. You know, and the fire department said, no, we're going to take you to the hospital. And I said, I... I'm I, I I'm fine. They said no. You're you think you're fine. You don't know what you know. I mean, they looked at the car. A, a police a police friend of mine just he said you should be dead. You know, there's there's no way you survived that. I didn't have a. I had some shrapnel in my in my scalp. You know, some little wow. bits of of glass. But I mean, the, the glass could have you know cut my throat or got in my eyes or something really bad. Mm-hmm. And and uh, truly, no worse th- for the wear. The car was completely totaled, and and I just I was like I I, mean, I looked up at the heavens and I I said thank you Lord and uh, pray for this guy who who knows who he is or where he is or why he drove away because um, a lot of people witnessed it and and you know if he got caught he would be in not he'd be in a lot of trouble and. Mm-hmm. And, you know, somebody, uh, as it turns out, it was October 13, which is the the final uh, message from Fatima, you know, <laughs> which didn't occur to me till somebody pointed it out to me, you know, that, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe Our Lady was <laughs> a little handed watching out for you that yeah. day. Yeah, yes, yeah, indeed. Uh, well, oh, thank God that you came through that, but that was a very scary experience for sure, so... Uh, there's, uh, one can't be too careful, for sure, yeah. No, well, John Paul, I think he, he gave credit. I wasn't the assassination attempt on him, I think, was on May the 13th. Yes, yes, he, oh, well, he was bound and determined that uh, there was no other way it could have, uh, mm-hmm. he could have escaped, uh, only the protection of the Virgin Mary. Right, and, uh, right. Uh, speaking of which, uh, by the way, a very interesting story of that Jewish actor in uh, France mm-hmm. who... Uh, I think he's fairly young man, but anyway, he uh, uh, wasn't too religious, but he used to go to a Catholic church. It's all over the place now on the media that he used to go to a Catholic church uh, and sit there and pray. And, and one day he's in the church, and I think it was Paris, but France someplace, and uh, he looks up and he sees the statue of the Virgin Mary, and he just goes... Oh, my God. Hmm. That's a statue of the Mother of God. Wow. And uh, he's now a very strong Catholic, and uh, as I say, the rest is history. But when you mentioned there about John Paul and Fatima and stuff, but that was his experience. He just saw this statue. And when you think of it, actually, you know, think of uh, Mary as the Mother of God. I mean, we can think of Mary as, wonderful and this that, mm-hmm. and the other and so on so but uh, that uh, 
you know, it changes everything. That, it does, yeah. That uh, that uh, God came in that particular way of, through the body of Mary, and and uh, I think when we see that, it gives a sort of a warmth and a closeness and a mm-hmm. humanity to our faith that, you know, just, well, that's what grabbed him. And uh, uh, now he's uh, telling his story, and uh, so you can... Google that, you know, about the, the Jew and the Virgin Mary, and I'm sure it'll come up someplace. Uh, wow. It's a marvelous story, yeah. Yeah, and you, you're right. You know, growing up, uh, we grew up with, you know, the Holy Family, you know, Mary and Joseph and Jesus and the Christmas story and, and, and you know, No Room at the Inn and all of that. Um, but I don't think as kids we really, we, we really internalize the mother of God, you know, it, it's, it, it does. It's so, um, you just <laughs> thank God for giving us Mary. And, you know, that was a great battle. There's also the battles in the church every, all the time about this, that, and the other, and heresies and mm-hmm. so on. But anyway, there was, uh, you know, people thought they were doing very well in the early church by maintaining that, obviously, everybody knew uh, that, uh, Mary was the mother of Jesus. Right. Uh, uh, just like somebody would know, you know, that you're the father of your daughters or whatever. And so, uh, but then the church realized that that wasn't good enough because if you just say the mother of Jesus, well, then you might think, well, Jesus was a prophet and was holy and was wonderful like Samuel or like David or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's got to be a lot more than that. And so then we got the teaching of the Theotokos, the mother of uh, of God, and that uh, obviously Jesus is God, so therefore Mary is the mother of God, and so the the deeper meaning then and the significance of that, and but that was uh, again like a lot of things in the church. It wasn't something that just uh, jumped out um, the first day. Uh, you know, a lot of the councils and a lot of things we believe um, had to be uh, defined by the church, uh, and that particular one was. Uh, not everybody saw it that way, uh, but eventually, of course, it, um, it was recognized, and uh, the beauty of it and the significance of it, and uh, when you think about it, and this man having this amazing experience of looking up at that statue and just being floored uh, with that recognition, uh, what an amazing thing. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, I can't wait to read it. Uh, that's, that's, yeah. just, that's just remarkable. And, but that's... That's how, that's the uh, equivalent of getting riding a donkey and getting struck by lightning. Yes, yes, indeed, uh, and a great story for him, and something you know that uh, maybe can help our people as we continue now in the Advent season and uh, in the Christmas and uh, the, the celebration of um, you know again the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ to uh, have God come into our lives again like we we're saying earlier it's just turned the whole thing upside down and changed everything and you know the, the closeness of our god as it says there in the uh, preface of the christmas preface mm-hmm. uh, that there's a thing you know that um god has come into our lives and and brought us into his life and that we are divinized and made holy in christ and christ living in us and and uh, and mary to be our friend and confidant and encourager and any old thing you have, whether it's a twisted knee or you're trying to sell your house or you've got cancer, well, chat over with Mary and you'll get a lot of consolation. Yeah, I remember, I, I, I don't know, I, I've heard it a hundred times, and I don't know who first told it to me, but the old, uh, when, uh, when God shuts a door, Mary opens a window. <laughs> yes. Yes, uh, and uh, uh, I always think of uh, sort of in a little different way, you know, where uh, Jesus uh, at the Feast of Cana, he seems not to um, want to do what she said. Mm-hmm. He didn't seem to pay much attention to the concerns she raised about the young couple running out of wine. And, but she doesn't fuss about it. She just says to the aides, do whatever he tells you. Do, exactly. Confident that he'll do, he's going to do something, obviously, because he wouldn't tell them to do whatever he tells you. He didn't think he was going to do something. Yeah. 
yeah. uh, with confidence that he will do something, and I think he's going to do what I ask him. I—I—I <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, I, I live in a town with a university that has probably the most famous winemaking department in the world, uh, Department of Enology and Viticulture, and. Um, I, I think they should study Cana and see how Jesus did that. You know, they could save a lot of money if they could t- take water and turn it into wine. Yeah, maybe that would be something that the uh, uh, diocese might think about going into, you know, for yeah. all their financial concerns <laughs> and so on. Uh, I mean, uh, Bogle wines and all the other ones we yeah. have around, you yes. know, well, uh, we might even step it up a, a notch. Uh, with the, the Jesus wine, because after all, the uh, Mayordoma, the, the overseer, uh, says well, he kept a good wine for last, so it must have been really something else when he made that comment. Yes, <laughs> yes. Now, yeah. We have so many wineries in the Diocese of Sacramento. My goodness. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah, I was over in Santa Rosa the other day mm-hmm. for an event uh, and uh, couldn't help coming back, you know, seeing all the, the winery places and so on, and it's Always a, a joyful drive to, to just uh, see that. Uh, as the scripture says, wine gladdens the heart of man. <laughs> yes. So it, yeah. is a, it is a beautiful thing. And again, within, uh, you know, handled um, with discretion and good sense, uh, uh, a glass of wine is, is, is a beautiful thing. And it's no, uh, no accident that Jesus chose bread and wine for the Holy Eucharist. Yeah, it is. It's 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 you know when you think about uh, you know the work of human hands, uh, and uh, that's certainly wine and bread. You know, I mean uh, all all the process they go through to before you have wine and before you have bread. You know, um, it is the, the the symbolism is so strong. Uh, even though it's not a symbol, it really is the body and blood. Um, but there's symbolism there as well. Um, is is it, it is just so strong and powerful. Indeed, it is, and I think the more we can relate to that and understand it and see it, actually, as um, I've just finished up uh, up at St. Mary's in Beale doing a little explanation over four or five Sundays of you know the meaning of the parts of the Mass, and I think the more our people can understand the the glorious symphony that, that the Mass is, you know, from the minute you walk in, blessing yourself with the holy water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, until you walk out with the Great Commission, uh, you know, uh, where the, the priest or deacon says the Mass is ended, let us go in peace to glorify the Lord or whatever the, uh, it is, that this whole action that you're here in, you know, the reading of the Word, and then, as you say, the wine and bread being brought forward, and the gifts being donated by the people, you know, for the work of the church, and then the consecration, and then the various prayers, and then receiving into your soul the body and blood of Christ, uh, and you know, all of that. Just, uh, uh, I think, uh, the more we meditate on that and understand it, um, the, the more beautiful our life would be. And in fact, it's it's a lifelong uh, contemplation and. I see where the bishops uh, at the recent meeting uh, mm-hmm. uh, talked about, you know, the upcoming uh, Eucharistic revival. Right. So we can't do enough to um, uh, promote that and to uh, have our people really see, uh, you know, the, the very presence of God in on the altar and then the very presence of God in your soul and your body when you receive Holy Communion. I mean, it's... Um, uh, uh, just uh, earth shaking, and if one really took it in, uh, I think Saint Thomas Aquinas said one time that if you received Holy Communion truly with knowledge and devoutly, he didn't think you could ever commit a serious sin again. Yeah, yep. I've, I've, I've heard somebody else say if you if you are a true believer, you would crawl all the way to Mass to get the body and blood of Christ. Yeah, I don't know if I told you that story before on our program, but um, uh, the story is told of uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen, who was talking to a Muslim man way back in his life, of course. And uh, the Muslim man was looking around the church, and 
Sheen chatted with him, and uh, he said, um, uh, what, what's the, the gold box up there? What's that mm-hmm. about? And uh, it was turned to the tabernacle, and Fulton uh, uh, Sheen said to him, well, that's the tabernacle, and we believe that Jesus is present there, you know, and so on and so on. And uh, the guy said to him, oh, no, you don't. Hmm. He said, yeah, we do. He said, no, no, you don't. He said, we do. I'm telling you, we do. He said, no, you really don't. He said, I'm telling you, you, you don't. He said, if, if that, he said, was what I believed, like you say you believe, he said, I'd be down on my knees up there. Yep. Instead of standing up here talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a good story. Was only Fulton Sheen could. I say, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's much better than I'm telling it, but the point anyway that, uh, you know, the, the, the reverence and the, the reality of what you got there uh, uh, is uh, earth-shaking. It, it truly it truly is. It, it, it can and will change the world. And the beauty of it is that it's so easy, and as you know, whether it's the Pope saying the Mass or the Bishop saying the Mass or some old priest who is uh, half-blind or you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's, uh, or whether it's in the cathedral or whether it's uh, out in a, uh, you know, a migrant camp or some place yeah. out in a, a military installation out in a field on a, on a back of a pickup truck. It's, it's, everybody can do it, and you don't have to be a genius. You don't have to be intelligent. You don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to be anything. I just... Uh, it's there for every human being, and I guess that's the reason why it's the bread and the wine. I mean, those are the most simple and, in some ways, the most available things you have. Mm-hmm. So there's no uh, idea that you have to be a certain quality or a certain you know, standard to everybody, rich and poor, young and old, everybody. It's there, and... Sometimes uh, people who, you know, the little old lady there who mightn't uh, know 10 things about the history of the church, she may have a deeper faith than you or me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not reserved just for the people in the front row or for the uh, people who put more money in the collection bo- <laughs> basket or or whatever it or have a, a, a many initials behind their name or whatever it's not just for them it is for everyone indeed what a beautiful thing indeed to uh, to know so well that's a beautiful concept for sure the father is is always such a joy to talk with you uh, we've hit the hit the hit the magic hour on the clock but uh, it is uh, God's blessings to you. And yeah, well, let me just finish up, if I may, with uh, started off with uh, Elizabeth Ann Seaton, and I'll just yes. share something for our very briefly here for our uh, listeners. And God bless you, listeners, and a happy Advent and have very blessed Christmas to you. But I'll leave you with this thought from the great saint: Two great objects require all our attention in this world: the glory of God and the salvation of our soul. To these two ends, all our views and plans and actions should tend. There is no action so small which may not be great and precious before God if we have an upright and pure intention. Wow. That's perfectly said. God bless you all, and thank you, Bob. God bless you too, Father. Thanks thanks so much. That's uh, Father Michael Kiernan, and he's the the chaplain uh, up at uh, Beale Air Force Base and also is uh, uh, in residence at the Cathedral of the Blessed Sacrament in downtown Sacramento. That's going to do it for us for today. Thanks for listening, everyone. God bless. We'll talk to you again soon. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the Mercy Foundation, enriching lives in the Sacramento region through Sisters of Mercy Ministries in health care, education, housing, and the care for the poor and elderly. For the Mercy Foundation, philanthropy is one of the most powerful expressions of compassion and love. Just as many people in our community need a hand, countless others are reaching out to them with comfort and hope. You can express your care and concern for the less fortunate with a gift to the Mercy Foundation. Uh, You can give them a call, 916-851-2000.
2700. That's 916-851-2700. And you can be confident that fully 100% of your contribution will support the Sisters of of Mercy Ministry or ministries that you choose. And what a wonderful treasure Easter's Catholic Books and Gifts has been for all of us here in the diocese as they uh, uh, transition uh, into uh, uh, new ownership and management. Uh, They continue to offer wonderful workshops, wonderful uh, uh, resources for the Catholic community throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Not only does Easter's provide a wide array of Catholic books, both current releases and longtime classics, but they also sponsor a number of valuable workshops and lectures throughout the year. They're, they're located at 6916 Sunrise Boulevard in Citrus Heights. Give them a call, 916-338-7272. We also receive a generous underwriting support by Crumley & Associates, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services. If you have questions about retirement, Crumley and Associates can help you with their confident retirement approach that can help define a clear roadmap to get you where you want to go. You can uh, contact them, get all the details at Crumley and Associates, 7956 California Avenue in Fair Oaks. They're at 916-638-4600. That's 916-638-4600. Four six zero zero, and we uh, are, are certainly uh, appreciative of the uh, fine and uh, long-standing support of the Mercy Foundation, of Easter's Catholic Books and Gifts, and of Crumley and Associates. We'd like to thank all the wonderful people and organizations, uh, businesses in town. Uh, and throughout the Diocese of Sacramento, who have provided underwriting for the Bishop's Hour, uh, some in the last few years, some uh, have been with us for a very long time. If you would like to be an underwriter for the Bishop's Radio Hour, uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to to support this mission and also to support the diocese and also uh, to get some uh, recognition for uh, your organization or for your business. The easiest way to do this is to uh, give us a shout, send us an email, radio at scd.org, and we can give you all the details about uh, helping to underwrite the Bishop's Radio Hour. Again, that's radio at scd.org. Inside of me, I feel your spirit is moving around. you win. 